In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. closer to the heart of American evangelicalism than Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. What if you attended a church like that as a young person, heard the preaching there, and considered it thoroughly biblical until you discovered Lutheran theology? And you began to see in a new light what you thought was biblical was actually robbing you of the comfort of the gospel. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week, our theme, Paths to Lutheranism. Dr. Ross Johnson joins us to tell us about his path from American evangelicalism. He's director of LCMS Disaster Response and author of a column for the Issues Etc. journal titled Wittenberg Trail, Lutheranism, Christianity's Best Kept Secret. Ross, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. What Christian tradition were you raised in? Growing up as a child, I was raised as a Roman Catholic. My mother was a Portuguese. I came from a very passionate, devout Roman Catholic background. I had Roman Catholic priests that were extended family members, monsignors. So Roman Catholicism was absolutely the religion that I was raised in. However, my mother, when she was in her 20s, was at a laundromat, picked up a track. It was actually a Norman Vincent Peale track. And she said when she read that, it was actually the first time that she had ever known that her sins can be forgiven and that she can have faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of her sins. Now, I don't at all endorse Norman Vincent Peale, but that is part of the original part of my spiritual journey. Because as soon as we moved out of Northern California, away from my very devout Roman Catholic family, we began going to a evangelical church and an evangelical school. What were the positives of being raised in a conservative Christian home? I would say one of the most positive things was not knowing a time that I didn't believe in Christ or that I didn't go to church or that I wasn't going to a VBS or a Sunday school. Being surrounded by Christ, the Bible, Christianity, the biblical narratives, all that was just part of my my upbringing. In Southern California, where I grew up, Christian radio was very, very influential. My parents always had Christian talk radio or Christian songs on in the background. So it was just part of my culture. Part of my life was just completely engrossed with the Christian faith. Now, as I got older, that faith and understanding of God continued to develop. But it was a blessing being a part of a Christian community. I would say also in the 1980s, when I was growing up in Southern California, there was an enthusiasm 
about evangelicalism and Christianity. I would say that was one of the hot spots of maybe what we would consider the fourth great awakening in the United States. From about 1960 to 1980, there was a significant revival happening across the United States. In Southern California was one of those hot spots of Christianity. Now you have significantly more population and significantly less Christianity. But you couldn't go to a strip mall without there being a church plant in that strip mall. It was very easy to find Christian schools. There are still Christian schools in Southern California, but nothing like there was in the 1980s and in the 1990s. I was uh, blessed to grow up going to an evangelical Christian school. And that really formed my identity and the person who I was. So you say that your sophomore year in high school was a turning point for you. What do you mean by that? It was a turning point in the in the sense of about your sophomore year in high school, uh, you start getting a lot more independence. Uh, your friends start getting driver's licenses. You start making more grown-up decisions in life about who am I going to spend my time with? What am I going to do? Am I going to party and uh, live licentious life like uh, many of my other classmates and friends were starting to do now that they kind of had the independence and the capacity having a driver's license in a car? Or was I going to continue on the path in which I was raised following Christ and Scripture? And I really had to think about that quite a bit. And it started a little mini journey in my life saying, is this the faith that I was raised in? My parents taught me, or is this something I truly believe in? Because if not, you know, I, I had a whole lot of fun opportunities that were ahead of me, but if Christianity is true, then I really have to be devout and I really have to genuinely follow it. I can't kind of walk both lines. And so I really got involved into apologetics and reading and looking up scriptures about Is there a God? What are the arguments for the existence of God? Arguments for creation, the deity of Christ. I started reading a lot of Josh McDowell's books at the time, and I was really convinced that this is true. The Bible is true. And if the Bible is true and Jesus is God, then I have no other choice in my life than to follow God and his word, even if it's something that isn't what I want to do. I still need to do it because he is God. His word is true. And I must be consistent in how I live my life with my beliefs. So that was a big turning point in my sophomore year. You also uh, attended Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California, famous kind of origin of the vineyard movement. What was that like? Yeah, it was about that time I was getting my driver's license. I had a whole lot of independence. And as I kind of came to that conclusion that the scripture is true, Jesus is divine. He is God. I want to know him. And one of the pastors at Calvary Chapel, I started going to this church in Costa Mesa because I had a car. I asked him, what what does a Christian do? If you really want to live a devout Christian life, what do you do? And he said, you study the word of God, you study theology, and then you evangelize. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I was uh, reading the Bible for a couple of hours every single day. I got really involved with reading systematic theology. Uh, Westminster Theological Seminary was near my house, and so was Talbot. So I went to their bookstores, and I would use all my pizza restaurant money, the place I was working at at the time. I take all my paychecks, and I go buy theology books. And then on Friday nights, I would go with one of my pastors from the church and we would do street evangelism. We would go, uh, and that was fairly common in Southern California in the very early 90s, that you would just have conversations about Jesus with strangers. And one thing that happened to me is as I was talking to those who are not believers and trying to talk to them about Jesus, they would ask me questions. And I could either say, I don't know the answer to it, or I'd say, 
I don't know. That's a good question. Let me go look it up. So I was driven to study as I was having tons of conversations with non-believers or people that are parts of cults or other religious movements. And so that really deepened my faith as I was constantly going back to the Word of God, studying theology. Nothing motivates you to learn about the deity of Christ and the Trinity than after you've had a conversation with the Jehovah Witness that doesn't believe in the deity of Christ or in the Trinity. So you have to say, okay, well, how do I know what I've been taught is correct? Well, you have to go back and you have to continue to read and study so that you can understand your faith. And it really deepened my faith a lot. And I remember being at Calvary Chapel and Pastor Chuck Smith, he's famous. If anybody's seen the recent movie, The Jesus Revolution, it's in part about Chuck Smith. And I remember hearing him preach and he was talking about something in the book of Revelation. He said, now there are some theologians that disagree with me on this point. And I remember sitting in the pew as a young 16 year old kid in a new enthusiastic Christian or someone that's really trying to learn and deepen his faith, I thought, how could anybody ever disagree with Chuck Smith? He's up there in front of everybody, word for word, expositorily preaching out of the Bible. How could someone disagree with Chuck Smith? And that really got me thinking. And then I started reading more and I started reading, okay, well, what do Presbyterians say about eschatology, the end times? What do they say about the Old Testament in the covenant? Is it a covenant? Or are they dispensations? Does God work differently at different times? And then I kind of started becoming a little bit of a salad bar of Christianity, where it's like, I really like this about the Presbyterians. I like this about another group. And I ended up being kind of bits and pieces. All of a sudden, I really didn't feel quite at home anywhere because I didn't know that there was any such thing as Lutheranism. I had heard of Lutheranism, and what I heard was always from the ELCA that there's this liberal Lutheran group. They don't believe in the deity of Christ. They don't believe in creation. They believe in women's ordination. And I thought, why, why would I ever want to become a part of a Lutheran church if that's what they believe and teach and confess? I don't want any part of that. So I, it really wasn't a viable option to me at the time. The other thing is... It was extremely hard to find Lutheran materials to read. I was very, very well read for an evangelical. However, I don't think I had ever read a CPH book. I had a, an academic library at the time in high school of a couple thousand volumes, and I had never heard of a conservative Lutheran except for maybe a footnote in a book. And I had known of John Warwick Montgomery, but I knew of him as the philosopher and apologist, not as much as the theologian. I also knew of a lay couple that I was good friends with, Bob and Gretchen Passantino. I went to their Bible studies, but it was much more on apologetics and not nearly as much on theology. So Lutheran theology was not really right in front of me. However, that soon changed in my life with a couple of good friends that became Lutheran. Dr. Ross Johnson is our guest, director of LCMS Disaster Response. We're talking about his path from American evangelicalism to confessional Lutheranism on this Wednesday, November the 1st, when we come back, his first exposure to Lutheran theology. Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. 
Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. A voice in the wilderness of American evangelicalism, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Ross Johnson is our guest. We're talking about his path from American evangelicalism to Lutheranism. Our theme paths to Lutheranism, this Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Dr. Johnson, what was your first exposure to Lutheran theology and how did you respond initially? One of my best friends at the time, who was Dr. Steve Parks, who uh, teaches at Concordia Irvine now. But back in the 90s, we were both working at a place called the Christian Research Institute. It was an apologetics organization started by Walter Martin and now is run by Hank Hanegraaff. At the time, we were working together and we were very good friends. We would go evangelizing. We were both going to Calvary Chapel together. And uh, he was kind of going through the same spiritual journey that I was going through. And he told me about Lutheranism and conservative confessional Lutheranism. And so I said, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more about it. And I said, where do I read about this? And he said, yeah, it's really hard to find conservative Lutheran books. This is back in the 1996, 1997. I said, how do I find out about the books? Because I had gone through all the evangelical bookstores. I went to Talbot's Seminary's bookstore and, and everywhere, and I couldn't find Lutheran materials. He said, you have to call this 800 number and they'll send you a paper catalog and you have to order your books through them. We thought, wow, okay, it's a a really boutique little place to order books. So we started reading Lutheran books together. And I said, well, where where do I start? What's the first Lutheran book that I should read? He said, well, if you really want to know officially what conservative Lutherans teach, you have to read the Book of Concord. I said, okay, I've never heard of that. All right, I'll I'll buy one of those. So I bought one of those and I read through it. I thought, I don't understand what this is about because there's a lot of German history, a lot of inside baseball, Augsburg confessions, councils, things like that. What is the confutation? 
that the apology is referring to. These were things that was a bit baffling. I read the, the large and the small catechism. And I thought that was wonderful. And so I, I t- said, Steve, this is just a little bit over my head. There's just too much inside dialogue. I don't understand. He said, okay, well, why don't you read something that would be similar to what we're reading? And it was Peeper's Dogmatics. And I read the three volumes and I said, okay, I'm tracking now. This makes sense to me. I really like this. And he said, uh, you know, what else you need to read is Kimnitz's Two Natures of Christ. I read that and I said, oh, that answers so many great questions. And then I read the book of Concord and it was starting to make sense because I was starting to understand the Lutheranese that's in the book of Concord. How did Lutheran theology expose the uncertainty of your previous theology? When I think of my previous theology as a Catholic and as an evangelical, when it comes to the Christian life, the sanctified life, if you go to a Catholic priest and you say, I'm really troubled by something that's going on in my life, or I feel guilty or bad about what I need to do, they'll tell you to repent, to confess your sin. But then if you talk to the priest, there's a whole lot of penance that kind of goes along with it. I spoke with a Navy chaplain once and he was telling me how good penance is for the soul. And it's almost a prescription that is given out. Well, you know, if you really want to grow closer to Christ in your faith, the Catholic will say, well, you know, you really should think about supporting more and giving generously to the church or saying prayers more often or more Hail Marys um, or going to mass more often. You really should think about going to morning mass if you really want to get closer to God or if you want to feel less guilty. There's this prescription that is given. When I was an evangelical, I would ask pastors the same question. I say, well, what do you do if you want to, if you're feeling guilty or overwhelmed with what's going on in your life and you really want to straighten out your life and follow God and follow Christ? Uh, I was given a few by a few different pastors this acronym, ABCDE, and the A stand for Amen. If you want to know and get closer to God, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to go to church more. You need to disciple other people. You need to evangelize more. And so if you kind of contrast how the Catholics would give a prescription, it was just worded slightly different. You talk to my evangelical pastors, they would word it slightly different. Now there's a lot of nuance in there as well, of course. But when you go to a Lutheran pastor and you say, I'm feeling overwhelmed or guilty or bad, or I, want, I feel like I need to be making better decisions in my life, the Lutheran pastor hopefully and should be saying, well, confess that sin. And if you confess your sins, your God is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then he'll remind you, come to the altar, receive Christ's gifts. Be where God's word is preached to you, that you are reminded that you are his child, that you're loved by God, that he died for your sins, that he took all of your guilt and your shame and he gave you all of his goodness. And the focus in the Lutheran is always on Christ and what Christ is going to be giving to you. Now, my evangelical friends would say that that's some sort of an easy believe-ism. Like, all you got to do is believe in Christ. You don't have to try. And I think we as Lutherans wouldn't say that at all. We would say that it is God that is active and it is we that are passive. And when the Holy Spirit is working in our life, the Holy Spirit is making us and transforming us and putting us more into the image of Christ and giving me a new heart to follow God, even though my sinful desires don't want to. If we think about it, we're pretty lonely in this world because Satan absolutely hates you as a Christian. Your mind is wicked, the Bible says, 
And you can't trust the lies of the world that we live in. So the only place that we can really turn to is Christ and to receive his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his absolution, and not to rely on our own Bible reading or self-motivation to go to church more often to give us a confidence in the faith. Dr. Ross Johnson is our guest. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Our theme is Paths to Lutheranism. We're hearing about his path from American evangelicalism to Lutheranism. When we come back, how did he first come to a Lutheran congregation? My name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and your investment with LCEF makes a world of difference. Your dollars enable LCMS churches, schools, and workers to access low-cost loans for vital ministries. Join us today at lcef.org and let's empower faith, strengthen ministries, and build a stronger LCMS community together. Greetings in Christ, and thank you for listening to Issues Etc. If you ever find yourself visiting the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee, please join us here at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Sevierville. We see it as a small part of our service to the church to provide sound liturgical worship opportunities for vacationing Lutherans to our area. For worship times and directions, please visit our website at splctn.com. That's splctn.com. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Our guest, Dr. Ross Johnson, mentioned his longtime friend, Dr. Stephen Parks, who's assistant professor of theology at Concordia University, Irvine. Here's what he has to say about our Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. The Reverend Dr. Espinosa has done the church a tremendous service in producing a winsome, inspiring, and penetrating work on the often misunderstood topics of sanctification and good works. That's what's in store for you when you order the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in Culture. It's at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 
325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Dr. Ross Johnson is our guest director of LCMS Disaster Response. He's author of a column for the Issues Etc. a journal titled Wittenberg Trail, Lutheranism, Christianity's Best Kept Secret. In about 10 minutes, Pastor Eric Anderson joins us to discuss his path from Roman Catholicism to confessional Lutheranism. Ross, how did you come to a Lutheran congregation? So that was kind of the next step. So I was reading this Lutheran material and I asked my good friend, Steve Parks, and I said, well, you know, can you tell me of a good Lutheran church to go to? I've never heard of Lutheran churches. I've heard of all these other evangelical churches and Calvary chapels. And he said, well, there's a couple of good Lutheran churches around. One is Faith in Capo Beach was right close to where I was living and also St. Paul's in Laguna Beach. I looked up somehow when and where they're doing services. And they said that there's going to be a Thursday night service at Faith Lutheran Church in Capo Beach. And I said, okay, well, I'll go to that. You know, I was used to going to midweek services with hundreds of people. I walk into this little Lutheran church and it was really kind of just charming, very typical LCMS congregation, probably said about 100, 150 people. And then I was expecting hundreds of people to show up. There was about 12 people that showed up on that Thursday night. And I said, oh, wow. I wonder why nobody wants to come to this Lutheran church or why there's nobody here. And then they played an evening service and they didn't have an organist. So they put the CDs in the 90s. They would have CDs of uh, the organ music and the liturgy. And I remember sitting there and the, the liturgy started and it was the first time I've ever followed the liturgy in my life. And I just remember instantly thinking, this is exactly where I've always wanted to be. And I never knew that there was something like this. And I love the hymns, even though the hymns and music were played off of a CD backing track. I just thought, this is amazing, the words that I'm singing. I challenge anybody to sing, Dear Christians, When and All Rejoice, and not think that that is the most amazing thing to sing. Especially when I came from Maranatha music, which was very simplistic, kind of folk music, kind of like a lot of Psalms and Bible verses, kind of based, very different than some of the more modern Hillsong songs that are out today. But I was just so taken in by the words of the hymn. And then I had heard the White Horse Inn show, and I knew that there was this Lutheran guy named Rod Rosenblatt, and he was a Lutheran scholar. But when I was there at that service on Thursday night, it was by chance Rod Rosenblatt that was teaching the sermon on the Thursday night, and he was going through the book of Ephesians on Thursday night with the members there. And I go, oh my gosh. How is this Lutheran scholar teaching this Bible study to 12 people on a Thursday night and this place isn't absolutely packed out? How do people not know about this? And it was a 15, 20 minute sermon as he was going through whatever part of Ephesians he was at the time. And I just thought, man, this is so clear and so wonderful. How in the world is this place not absolutely packed out, packed out with people, Christians, believers? And why would only 12 people be there? I was absolutely mesmerized by that night. I couldn't wrap my brain around it, but I was sure glad I was there. I started going every Thursday night to the Bible classes and Pastor Ron Holdo was the pastor at the time. And I would just stay afterwards and ask him tons of questions. And he was so wonderful and patient and gave me books to read. And it was absolutely a wonderful time in my life. I wanted to bring my wife to the Lutheran church. We were very ensconced into our evangelical church that we were going to. As an evangelical, you have a whole network of friendship. 
And that's really kind of your friends, your social community. And we were very tied in to our evangelical church. So just to go and visit another church felt like we were kind of cheating on our friends a little bit, cheating on our old church. But it felt a little bit weird, but we went. And at that time, we went to St. Paul Lutheran Church in Laguna Beach, California. And uh, we went in a very traditional page five and page 15 service at the time. This must have been about 1997, 1998. And it felt very different. The music was different. As evangelicals, you're not used to hearing an organ ever, unless maybe you're at a circus or a baseball game or a Dracula movie. If you're evangelical, the sound of an organ doesn't make you think churchly at all. It makes you think that you're at a baseball game or maybe the circus. And so it was really a, a bit of an obstacle for my wife and I to sing hymns in a divine service like that. It just didn't feel like what we were used to. And we went a couple of times. My wife was really unenthusiastic and wanted just to go back to our church and our friends. As we were leaving church the second time, Pastor Espinoza said, Oh, Johnson, it's great to see you guys twice now. I'd sure like to start confirmation class with you. And we said, what is that? He said, well, it's an opportunity after church. I'll just sit with you for an hour or so and answer any questions that you have about the Christian faith. And I want to explain to you about what we do and why we do it as Lutherans. I said, great. And my wife thought, man, this pastor is so kind. It's hard to say no. So we did that for about nine to 10 months. We went through confirmation with Pastor Espinoza. At the same time, we were continuing to go on Thursday nights and joined a another class or two that they had at Faith. So I was kind of going to two different Lutheran churches because we just wanted to learn more about Lutheranism. Then after about a year, we were both completely sold, my wife and I, on Lutheranism. We had gotten through the adjustment of being comfortable with the liturgy and also with Lutheran hymnody. What were the most difficult things to accept in Lutheran theology? To me, it really wasn't. I think I was pretty close to being there doctrinally before I came to the church. As far as being amillennial, understanding more of a covenantal kind of view of the Old Testament, how God works, the Lord's Supper it seemed fairly easy. It was simply, well, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Why is this hard to understand? Now, for my evangelical friends and family members, that's the hardest part for them to accept. Because as an evangelical, you're ingrained that this is a fellowship meal. It is not the body and blood of Christ. There's no forgiveness of sins. Or if there is, that's really not the part of it. It's all about we're fellowshipping one another with others that are believers in Jesus Christ. And so it becomes a little bit kind of like a time of, I wouldn't say emotional, but just a bonding time where all Christians get together, anybody that has a faith in Jesus Christ can participate in communion. So for my family members, when they would visit the Lutheran church, they were very offended that we wouldn't, in their mind, they thought we didn't think that they were Christian because that was their bar of entry was you have to be a Christian. And we're saying, no, what we're doing is something completely different than a memorial meal. This is actually Jesus coming to us in his body in his flesh, and then he is giving us the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe that? Not really. Well, then maybe you shouldn't partake until you're in agreement with what we're doing. That was where probably some of the wrestling came. Infant baptism, it started to make a whole lot of sense when you realize that God is active when we're passive. He's the one that comes to us and enlightens us. So if we're spiritually dead as adults and he can breathe life into us and 
then why wouldn't he be able to do that with a small child or an infant? That was fairly easy for me and my wife. It was really kind of how do we deal with our family and friends that are not Lutheran? And one of the things I've learned over these last 25 years is instead of talking about legalism and drinking and why can't you drink if you're an evangelical, all that kind of stuff, the side issues that become absolute distractions, now I just focus constantly on Jesus, on the gospel, on comfort, that we have as Lutherans, because that's something that a lot of times evangelicals don't have, is that comfort of knowing that they are God's children, that their sins are forgiven, and that if they were going to die, they will be in heaven because of their faith and their trust in Christ alone, not based on their performance as a Christian. And that's something that I think does resonate when you constantly talk about Jesus, forgiveness, and the comfort that the gospel brings when you're talking to evangelicals. Instead of, like I said, talking to them about my hymns and our songs are better than yours, or trying to get in a tit-for-tat or play theological ping-pong with them on some of these other issues of legalism and, well, why can't you smoke a cigar? Where the Bible says that you can't do that? All these things that distract us from what Jesus is. And that's really what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to talk about everything apart from Jesus. How did you decide to study for the Lutheran ministry? Well, I was very interested in three things, law, apologetics, and in theology. And I was actually, uh, after college, I was accepted into Simon Greenleaf School of Law, which was started by John Warwick Montgomery, then taken over at the time by another school that had a great apologetics and law program. And uh, I was signed up for that. And uh, I, I was a, a new Lutheran, and I told my, my pastor that I was interested in, in being a pastor. And he said, that would be great. He told me there's two great Lutheran schools and I called up both of them. Fort Wayne, by chance, was more accommodating. I told them my plan was to go to law school and get a master's degree in apologetics. I kind of liked uh, the John Warren Mon- Montgomery kind of model. And they said, hey, if you want to be a pastor, why don't you just drop everything and come to, to, to seminary? So uh, fall of 2000, I started at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And one of the best things for my wife that, you know, we had only been Lutheran for a couple of years, she actually started the MA program and got a master's degree in historical theology and then became a deaconess. And for us, my wife and I going through seminary together and studying in-depth God's word was so fundamental and foundational to us in our understanding of theology. I'm so thankful that we had that experience of going through that together. How does Lutheran theology and practice, how does it inform your work in disaster response? Yeah, so our theology of mercy, theology of the cross, our understanding of Christian vocation, when you see somebody in need, it really puts into perspective of what we're doing and why we're doing to help somebody. We're doing this because Jesus Christ has been so good and wonderful and gracious and merciful to us. He came to us while we were still sinners and in desperate need. For us to see the world that is broken around us and in desperate need, it's so easy as a Lutheran to say, you know what, I, uh, I want to be a reflection of the love of Christ. Christ has given me so much, I want to help out my neighbor. And it really helps us stay away from this false understanding of social justice and the social gospel, which so many other denominations have left Christ and the deity of Christ and the inerrancy of scripture. And then they fulfill that whole 
with the social gospel, that Christianity is no longer about Jesus, but it's rather about loving one's neighbor. For us as Lutherans, our love for neighbor comes out of the gospel and it's an extension of the gospel. It is not the gospel itself. The gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And so for me, I think that our understanding of mercy is definitely informed by our soteriology about our understanding and belief of the work of God in our life. And also it it keeps us away from this whole liberation theology that the whole purpose of the scripture and God is to liberate us from oppression. Rather, we have an understanding that God came to liberate us from the bondage of sin, the devil, death in this world. And when we have that understanding, it makes it really easy to do mercy work. Folks, you'll find a link to LCMS Disaster Response at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives, Helping the Hurting Amid Disaster, LCMS Disaster Response. Dr. Ross Johnson is director of LCMS Disaster Response and author of a column for the Issues Etc. journal titled Wittenberg Trail, Lutheranism, Christianity's Best Kept Secret. Dr. Johnson, thank you. Thank you. When we come back... Eric Anderson joins us. We're going to talk about his path from Roman Catholicism to confessional Lutheranism, this Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Faithful Christians are facing enormous challenges and uncertainties. Where are we to find our strength? Join us at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, as Pastor Adam Kuntz presents on the theme, Strong Under Pressure, the Church's Life in Paul's First Letter to Timothy. This conference is on Saturday, November 18th. Go to ChristianFaithAndLife.com for more information and to register. That's ChristianFaithAndLife.com.